On this episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, we present the second part of our interview with Joe Ranke of Fitbucks, with Joe providing insight on the path of becoming and being a financial advisor, characteristics of effective and ineffective financial advisors, and he also discusses how to, instead of rather educating people on finances and loans, but rather on how to show them how to apply what they already know to help them with the situation that they need help with in their life. Without further ado, we present our part two with Joe Ranke. Joe, kind of switching to your role as a financial advisor, are there any specific degrees or certifications that are needed to do that? Yeah, so to be just a basic financial advisor in order to actually give advice, you need to have what's called like a 60 series 65, a series 66. These are all government licenses. They're, you know, pretty easy to get, you know, to trade individual securities and whatnot and other types of products like mutual funds. You need your series, I think a 6 and series 7. So those are just general licenses in general that you have to have and you probably want to make sure the person that's giving you financial advice if they're trying to solicit you and say you know you should be doing this or I'm teaching you you legally to give actual advice they need to have those licenses or something that's above those licenses that allows them to do that. So like, for example, I saw on Facebook today, a guy was like, you know, I read Dave Ramsey's books and I went through his financial course and now I can give lessons. It's like, um, you're setting yourself up to go to prison. Like you can't do that. That's actually against the law. You know, you can't just read someone's courses and think that you can start giving people advice. So those licenses are first and foremost. And then you have other licenses above that. So one popular one is a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And that's more of someone that's holistic, that can look at your overall financial picture, try to make it make sense for you. So everything from, you know, uh, your investments to life insurance to estate planning, all that good stuff. They look at it more holistically. I kind of call them basically like a coach because... You know, they're not the ones actually running the play. And what I mean by that is if you work with a CFP and you need life insurance, they might hand you off to their life insurance guy and then coordinate that and how it plays a role with your overall picture. And so like with life insurance, there's things I think it's like the CFUL certificate, like it's like a chartered financial life, something that's, you know, they know life insurance inside and out. So that's another license. The one that I have is basically called the, the CFA charter. It's more for animals and more for investment stuff. So, you know, designing portfolios and investment portfolios, tailoring them to individuals. Uh, it goes everywhere from like equity investments to option trading, economic analysis, fixed income analysis, portfolio analysis. You know, so for example, having that, you know, we don't need to be licensed, for example, that Series 65 I told you about, I don't have to have because we get around those laws because of the CFA charter. You know, I just found out, somebody just told me today, actually, that if I want to go out and get my CFP, I'll have to do is take the test. I don't have to go through the courses. So those are the primary ones that you see. Actually, the primary ones that you see are just you know, financial advisors that have their their series tests, like series six, seven, 66 or 65. Then you see a lot in consumer finance that have CFPs. And then CFAs are typically more of the time behind the scenes doing a, like the actual investment management and all that type of stuff. Or a lot of times we're managing, if we are in portfolio management, it's managing basically high net worth individuals and their portfolios. So that's kind of the the spectrum that you'll see. Awesome. And Joe, how much on average would you say that doing those certification programs costs? It really depends. It's it's actually just time, really. 
the licensing, you just got to pay for the test. I think it's like a hundred something, a couple hundred dollars. If you want to buy the study materials, then, you know, it's, it is just studying for them. Uh, the CFP is the same thing. I don't know the price on the CFP. I know you got to go through courses. Again, it's time intensive. The CFA is probably over the three years cost probably about, I mean, if you want to buy a lot of the study materials and all that type of stuff, it costs 10 to $20,000. You know, that was my choice. Basically, you, you talk about alternatives and things that people need to evaluate before going to grad school. Like I mentioned earlier, my background was in sports. You know, I always just basically said, what what GPA do I need to get to be on the field? And so after I graduated, after I left sports, I was thinking about getting my MBA. And it's like, well, realistically, where can I go? And I sat down and said, well, wait a second, if I get my MBA, I, I'm going to be close to six figures in debt. Like, what alternative do I have? And what do I really want to do with my life? And I was like, well, there's this thing called the CFA charter that's more geared to exactly what I wanted to do. And so I was like, I can afford 10 to 20000 and pay for cash for that. It's just time. And to get the CFA, you know, it's a series of three tests. Like I said earlier, if you don't pass them, then you have to wait a full year. So it's a tremendous time investment. And that's where the the real, whenever you're talking about financial people, that's the real investment is the time side of it to start understanding and all these different tools and how they all work and, you know, how to value things and all that stuff. That's the, the major, major investment is time. Uh, so speaking of uh, time being a major uh, important investment, is there a type of person that you think you would recommend for a role in financial advising? Or if this makes it easier, is there a type of person that you would not recommend for a role in financial advising? Like <laughs> some characteristics maybe that you're looking for in people? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we got to deal with this all the time, right? So we call them Fitbucks coaches, the guy, the people that actually talk on the phone, you know, here at Fitbucks to people. It's the same characteristics as financial advisors. And so like I said that financial advisor or a you know financial planner if you will they are basically the coach that's trying to put all the pieces together and a super majority of their job is facing you the consumer and they have to be extreme people person <laughs> you know you got to be able to talk to people you got to be able to basically care and you have to show that you care it can't be some false type of, you know, well, I'm going to try to say the right things to show that I care. People will see right through that. Like you yeah, have to very genuinely, to the healthcare field, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to genuinely care that you're helping people. Like that's why I love working with Will Butler is because he genuinely cares about helping people. And I've been in this industry for over 10 years now. And every single financial planner or advisor that I know that actually cares about people, they're still in it and they're extremely successful because that's what drives them. It's not the money aspect that that drives them. Because especially for financial advisors and financial planners, when they first start, it's a grind. They don't make barely any money. Most of them are actually on 100% commission. So they're not making anything. And it's a grind to build what they call your book of business. Okay. So you have to have something else driving you besides money. And that's the care and the want to actually help people. Okay. First and foremost. And, you know, we see, I used to see it when I was in wealth management, like guys used to sit there and, you know, all they used to care about was how much commission am I going to get off this product? And well, how can I get this person out of my face as fast as possible? And eventually they're, they're going to be out. Okay. And like I said, you will see through that. So finding someone that genuinely cares about that individual 
And so again, characteristics that wouldn't work. Again, the person that's just doing it for money, and that could be said across the board for any profession, really. But that person doing it for money now characterized to the person that believes that they're the smartest person in the room. And that, and I see this all the time, they, they think they're really smart and then they get you know on the phone or they talk to people and it's like, oh, this person's stupid. How do they do this? And it's like, you can't have that mentality. Like if you have that mentality, you're not going to last very long. Because yeah. the person's not stupid. Yeah. Like they're trying to do the right thing. That's why they're talking to you to begin with. Like well, that's right. a cliche phrase too, right? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, right? Exactly. And we see this with finance people all the time. And I joke around because people will just be sitting there and I'll be talking to finance people and they don't know my background or anything like that. And, you know, I sit there and I listen to financial planners all the time. And the way they make themselves like try to appear smart to the person sitting in front of them is they try to use these big words, okay, big finance terms. And I will tell you right now that most of the guys that use those financial terms don't even know what they actually mean, okay? So it's like, do you know what's like, like diversification? Do you actually know what that means? Do you actually know what duration means in a bond? fun do you actually know what like they they wouldn't be able to tell you they just regurgitate these words and the person that's sitting across from them most of the time don't understand what they're saying and so they kind of just look there sit there and look lost but they're like oh this person must be smart because he's throwing out some big words to me and it's funny because like i get that all the time from people all the time financial professionals will be sitting there talking to me and i'm just not saying that much and they're throwing out these big words and all this stuff and then at the end of the conversation they'll be like oh you know what do you do and i just tell them hey you know i've started this new company yada 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 and like oh do you have a business card And i pull out my business card and it has cfa behind it and all of a sudden they're like oh you're a cfa like like i'm like yeah they're like Oh, and it's just like a completely different change in personality. And it's like, you know, guys, like these these words and like you find advisors, if they're using these big words, probably find a new person to work with because they need to understand that you don't understand what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> All these big buzzwords in finance mean nothing, you know? Right. That's why you sought them out in the first place, right? To get help to understand those words. Exactly. I give like when I do the workshops, I joke around sometimes. I've told this story a few times. All right. I first started dating my wife. So, you know, if you guys don't know, for the listeners that don't know, my wife's a PT. Okay. So when I first started dating her, we went out to dinner with one of her friends and I used to be, you know, scout and all that type of stuff and, and evaluate baseball players and all that stuff. So we're at dinner and this guy walks by and you know, they're talking about him. And my wife looks at me and goes, do a gait analysis, you know, on that guy. I'm like, what the hell's a gait analysis? She's like, you know, just break down the way he walks. I'm like, you know, why don't you just say, you know, break down the way he walks? Like, I don't know this big fancy medical term called gait analysis. Like I've heard of gait, but it was for horse racing. Like what did that have to do with a person? You know, like what, what are we talking about here? And finance is the same way. We make up our own language. So if you're sitting down in front of a person, just like a PT, if you start using all these big words about body parts and all this stuff, I don't know anatomy don't tell me something about you know something with my you know shoulder ligaments and using the proper term just don't tell me my shoulder's messed up you know like, yeah for sure for sure you know, keep finance, it simple yeah and the finance is the same thing you're talking about diversification and you know these income driven repayment plans and pick loans and you know all these different terms and if if your advisor and the person you're talking to is doing that and they're not checking in with you to make sure that you understand what they mean then work with somebody that will break it down in a lot simpler fashion for you Joe, kind of going off of that, do you feel that the educators of finance that kind of tend to use more of those bigger words, are they anywhere near as successful with their clients in terms of outcomes, you think? No, not at all. No. And a lot, so when you actually look at the profession, so you can break this down in terms of educators, because I consider financial advisors and financial planners 
educators. Okay. And also, you know, individuals that are trying to trying to change the person's behavior. Okay. Uh, more so than they are financial professionals. So when you look at them as educators, those people that can't, you know, get the person to understand what they're talking about will fail because people won't actually say, here's money and, and do this for me. Okay. So that's first and foremost, the, and you talk about the quote unquote educators. Okay. So people that are actually doing seminars and people that are trying to coach and people that are trying to do this and that I say this, I, Fitbucks, we do not use the word education ever. We never educate anybody. Uh, we do workshops. I'm not educating anybody. You know, I've been asked to potentially put out videos and courses. They will not be called courses or education or anything of that nature. And the reason why is because, I mean, it's, it's this is nothing new. I mean, for decades, people have been sitting there saying, we need to educate people. We need to educate people. We need to educate people. And you still have the same problem. Like people aren't going to watch courses. People aren't, you know, trying to go out. Some of them do, but the mass majority don't want to spend the time to do it. And what I've come to the conclusion on why, and again, this is just my opinion, it's because let's think about this, right? You guys are DPTs. You guys, that means, let's just say the average DPT graduates at 27 years old. Okay, 26 years old, 27 years old. You've been going to school since you're about three years old. So 23 out of your 26 or 27 years of your life, you've been going to school and educating yourself. Okay, so just subconsciously, when you hear the word education, the first thing that comes to your mind is 23 years is taking me to get to this point to be considered, quote, educated in my field. So if I come to you and I say, hey, look, I'm going to financially educate you. You're automatically, your first mechanism is taking a step back and being like, man, that's going to take a lot of time. And what I tell people in the world of finance, that's just, it's not even the real word. It's really just math and it's applied to money. And the math part, you learn for 80, 90% of what you need, you learned in grade school. You just need to know how to apply it to money. So it's not that you need to be educated. It's just, you need to say, hey, I, I have this education education already in math, this arithmetic, how do I apply it to this subject? That's all you need to know. You don't need to re-educate yourself. So that's why I believe in the world of finance when people sit there and say, we have these courses, because there's some awesome courses out there. And it's like, oh, we're going to educate you. But then they fail. And it's like, well, what happened? It's like, well, nobody bought the product. And it's like, well, that's because nobody wants to be educated. They want to be told, you know, you are educated already. You just need to apply that in this way and then showing that way in, in a simplistic way that they can understand. So that's why I don't I think that the like the financial education is lacking for decades now. And that's why at Fitbucks, we never say that we're educating anybody. It's we're going to help you take what you already know and now apply it. I'll give you an example with the with the workshops that we do, all right? So we go in and we have people build their profile so that way when I'm doing demos and walking through stuff, they're actually applying what I'm going through to their personal situation. And they're using their hands, they're using their sight, they're asking questions, and they're seeing how that math is applied to their situation. And we break it down very simplistically. You know, like if we're trying to explain something, it's like, look, you know, this is how, you know, this strategy will affect your overall finances. And as you can see, this is how this strategy works. It's this plus this minus this. So again, it's simple arithmetic. And you start to see exactly, okay, that's how the mechanics of a loan works. Now, I'm not going in there saying, I'm going to educate you on how a loan works. I'm saying, I'm going to teach you how to make this into an investment in yourself. That's how we start the conversations is, 
this isn't a loan. This is an investment you made in yourself. We're going to show you how to maximize it. Okay. And so then when you show them, look, this is simple mathematics. Oftentimes people will walk out and say, wow, like, you know, that's how that loan works. And we never ever said, this is how, it, you know, we're going to educate you on that loan. We're going to show you how to apply it and how it's simple mathematics. So that's how, you know, we do it. And so far we've had a really good response, especially in the workshops that we've been doing. And sometimes, you know, it can get a little bit deep in the workshops because some people, you know, they do know some of the stuff. So we do go deeper sometimes, but, you know, generally it's been some really good feedback about, okay, I have a good grasp on this, you know, and I understand it and I understand it from a high level enough to make a really good decision. Cool. So Joe, kind of going back to the, you know, this optimal level of teaching, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would that be and how? It's actually a really good question because there's, you know, you could take this from a, like a clinical perspective. Obviously I'm a, I'm a finance guy, so, you know, I don't know, you know, that aspect of it. But as I mentioned earlier, being able to say, you know, what is applicable, for example, to a PT and what's the realistic way of paying down debt? How can they maximize this? What's the realistic path in terms of saving for retirement? What's the realistic path for buying a house? What are some different pathways to starting a private practice, generating extra income on the side? And what does that all mean? Um, so, you know, you guys might have heard me talk about the two formulas that we always break down and explain is income minus expenses equals discretionary income. That discretionary income you then use to build assets or pay down debt. And that's what builds your net worth. Okay. So a simple understanding of how that formula, those two formulas apply to personal finance within the PT realm and how that all coordinates. I think, you know, if you have that specialization as part of that DPT program, then I think it would be huge. And, you know, how do you do things, other things outside of that? So everything from like negotiating salaries, actually knowing how to calculate what you're worth and what you can expect. I think that's huge. What are some of the alternatives? You know, so for example, travel PT from a financial perspective, you know, how is it different than being a nine to five quote, nine to five PT, which I'm writing, actually writing a finance article on that right now about, you know, this is the difference, you know, if you take a $75,000 travel PT per year and then 75,000 to five, this is the difference in income. And this is what this means to you, like in an actual after tax cash flow basis. So explaining that to people, explaining like per diem work and the trade-offs between that and getting higher pay potentially, but the trade-offs of, well, you don't know if you're going to be working or you don't have benefits. But then also, if you're 1040, you might have access to better type of retirement accounts. And what are those retirement accounts? So explaining that in some of these programs, I think would be a huge step forward because it reduces the, one of the biggest stressors in life for people, and that's money. And if they have that simple understanding, then the rest of everything they do, including their practice, is going to be that much better. Yeah, Joe, that, that is some super insight. I mean, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the episode tonight because I know I personally didn't have a good grasp on, on too much of the uh, financial side of student loan and student debt and all that. And I, I'm in that same boat as everybody else because I'm still going to school. I'm working on my educational doctorate on top of the DPT. So, I mean, I just never really stopped going to school. Um, now <laughs> there's an end in sight finally, right? I've got my dissertation on the horizon and it's like, okay, that is going to have to happen. 
happen eventually. I am going to have to start paying these back now, and the reality's setting in. So this was a super insightful episode, and I can't thank yeah, you so enough. That, um, I mean, let me ask you a question, Scott. I mean, if I sat down, like we talked about how to approach it, right? Like, in your opinion, if if I came to you and said, you know what, Scott, I'm going to educate you on finance, you'd be like, oh, man, dude, like, I mean, what would your, be your response to that? Would you be like, okay, let's go. I'm ready to spend the next 20 years learning about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, man, I'm pretty burnt out on education, which is why we're doing this podcast, because I'm trying to figure out how to leverage an educational doctorate maybe into something non-traditional because I am so burnt out on the world of academia, you know? I am so burnt out on learning and having been in school. I love to educate. I love to teach. It's a passion of mine, but at the same time, I, I've got to find an avenue that allows me to be creative and, you know, do something with it that may not be, you know, the normal path or the normal route. So I do appreciate what you guys are doing there. Yep, exactly. And I mean, going back to that non-traditional type of stuff, you know, people ask all the time, how did I learn math so well? Is I always related it to something that I knew. So like multiplication table, like people joke around with me and I tell this story. I remember when I was whatever, second, third grade, and I'm like trying to learn you know, multiplication. I'm not sitting there doing like seven times four. I was doing like the Niners just scored seven touchdowns. That's 28 points. Nice. And I related nice. to something. Yeah. I related to something that I understood or it's like, Hey, basketball. Okay. They made five, two, you know, five twos and one three that's 13. Like, you know, doing that type of math and relating it to something that is actually applicable. And at the same time, I was doing that to money at the same time. Cause like I said, I grew up around money. So it's like a quarter. Well, what is that? It's 25% of a dollar. Like, you know, so when you look at it in those aspects, and make it actually applicable to real life. Right. That's Putting part it in of, context. Exactly. And that's, you know, you, so you talk about non-traditional ways of education and, you know, doing that type of stuff. Again, that's, that's part of, you know, not saying this is education saying, look, these are just tools. You, you have the mathematical skills. This is just the tools to apply it to real life. And this is how it actually affects you in real life. Yeah. yeah no, well, sure. I, I will have, yeah, you know, I have signed up for my Fitbucks profile. I am good to go. Um, I'm ready to start uh, some individual coaching sessions here because, like I said, the end is coming soon. But, um, Joe, can you just kind of tell our audience about where they can find you online? Yeah, so fitbucks.com is the main website. You can go on, build your profile. It takes about probably about three to five minutes to build your profile. Just use estimates um, from there. If you have student loans, you can either enter them yourself or you can shoot them to us and we'll put them up there for you. And then you just schedule a time uh, to chat with your coach and we help you develop your your strategy. And so people oftentimes will say, oh, how much does that cost? To, to develop the strategy, we don't we don't charge anything. Okay, so where we make our money is, is actually the implementation component. So half of it's developing the plan, the other part's implementing it. And the part, then the reason why I set the company up that way is, in my opinion, the implementation part's the hardest part, and that's where people fall off. So if I can help them actually take what we just told them and actually do it, that's going to be more value add than just telling people, hey, this is what you should do. And then leaving them to their own devices, thinking that, you know, after a 30 to 60 minute call with me that, you know, they're ready to take over the world of finance. That's just not realistic. Right. So the development of the strategies that help you understand that what we can actually do, help you make the choice. And then whatever that choice is, we can help you implement it. So yeah, it's fitbucks.com. And also, like I said, we just launched a pre-graduate tool as well. So if you're a pre-graduate looking at potentially, you know, getting your DPT or another graduate degree, we can help you analyze, you know, the cost of income trade-offs between different schools and, and all that good stuff too. So yeah, it's fitbucks.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. Yeah, cool, Joe. no problem, guys. 
Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.